Thanks for tuning in to Power Athlete Radio, featuring The Crew, where a former pro football player and a D3 All-Star use strength and conditioning as an excuse to talk about anything but. Now here's John and Tex. Hey, Power Athlete Nation. Welcome to another episode of the premier podcast in strength and conditioning. I'm John. And Tex. And we are here to answer your questions via the hotline. You know, is the hotline hot? I mean, with this soft, sexy voice that you're coming in. Ooh, I'm coming in on the uh, the ladies' man. The ladies' hour. man. You know, I've been listening to a lot of Barry White lately. You know, they call really? That, yeah, they call that baby making music. <laughs> you know, seeing as I got three kids, I mean, come on. No, I just, you know, sometimes I like to take it back a notch and you doing know, the bull dance, and doing, doing the flow. Hey, you know what? It's a soft, sultry voice coming at you at Power Athlete. And you know what? That hotline is hot, hot, hot. And much like the ladies' man, Power Athlete loves Gravassier. Well, unfortunately, our caller today is not a lady. Oh, you know what? He's young. He's probably never seen the movie The Ladies' Man. And more importantly, no, uh, doesn't even really know what the hell we're talking about. But no. I'll tell you this. That doesn't matter because what we do on the hotline is we melt faces and burn souls in half with great information. And hopefully we can get a young power athlete on the road to success. Yes. And... Our caller is from the greater Illinois area, mm. the, the west side of the state. I couldn't identify a single town or city in the area of this area code, but nobody knows. Nobody knows. Nobody knows. But the smaller the town, the less likely the opportunity to go play some division one ball, which is our caller's goal. So I'm going to read our text message here from our dude. Hey, power athlete, my name I'm is Sean. I'm a little disappointed that he didn't leave a message. I wanted to hear his young 13-year-old voice cracking. Why? <laughs> I just need... Ooh. Yeah, like uh, just the uncontrollable cracking of puberty. Oh, God, I love it. Do you? Anyway. Uh, <laughs> hey, power athlete, my name is Sean. I'm 13, and I love your podcast. It helps me in everyday life. I have goals to play offensive line at Division One school. What do you think my training should look like? I have access to a big home gym, and I live right next to another big gym. Thanks. Bye. You did not crack your voice one time. Should I have read it like I'm 13 <laughs> years old? Hold on. Let me kick you in the nuts first. There's no <laughs> way it's going to happen. No, I can't even. Uh, no. What I'm more amazed by is that the Power Athlete podcast, podcast Power Athlete Radio, has helped him in every facet of his life. Well, let's. I was kind of like, as you said that, I was mentally doing a catalog of. What things have I said on this podcast that he potentially could use in his everyday life? Like be the hammer, you know, Hey, if, uh, you know, if you don't think that the bench press is functional, you've never been to a rock show, uh, you know, been in a bar fight or played offensive line in the NFL. Yeah. I, I was thinking more or less like the stuff that just went way over his head. I don't know, but I mean, he's been listening since he was five years old. <laughs> The story checks out the math. God, you know, uh, I want to commend his parents for just taking that five-year-old, plugging him into Power Athlete Radio and just putting headphones on and be like, listen, you'll be fine. Just do what the big monkey says. This this is actually an interesting social experiment because imagine like our parents sitting us down and like, okay, uh, you have about three hours you're allowed to listen to nothing but my Bruce Springsteen CDs. Go. 
and then it shapes their music. Now with podcasts, uh, you would, get a lifetime of John Wellborn spitting hot fire in your ear. Would you really go with Bruce Springsteen? I'm I mean, just giving is a real life example. Man, when I was his age, it was like Led Zeppelin and Willie Nelson, which probably has shaped my musical taste. Right. Well, but I, now we have podcasts. That's what I'm getting at. And I think it's great. I think it's amazing. And you know what? Here's the deal. And I'm going to, before we jump into training programs, um, I, I don't want to stomp on anybody's dreams, but uh, it's going to be rather difficult to play offensive line at Division One school if you're not at least 6'2", 6'3", if you're a center. And if you're going to be a guard or a tackle, you're going to have to be 6'4", 6'5", 6'6". It's going to be tough if you're a six-foot offensive lineman, especially at like a major Division One school. Now, if it's a Division Two, Division Three, you got a better chance. So the first question I'd ask is like, how tall are your mom? How tall is your dad? Is there any like really tall dude hiding in your genealogy? Like, did you like me? Did you have an uncle John that was six ten that you were named after? Uh, you know, that would be my first question. Um, but uh, there have been guys that have been a little on the shorter side, but yeah. most of those guys played center. So a six two, six one, six three center tends to have a better chance. So if you are not on the on the side of super gifted with height, you better learn to snap a ball. Yeah, I would also argue the play. Let's define play. Does that mean play step on the field when the clock is yeah. ticking? Yeah. No. Or no. The when I was at University of Texas, we had a a plethora of individuals that were walk ons that got the shit kicked out of them. Every single day. Is that really playing? That's what I would like to Mm -hmm. define. But they get to stand on the sidelines and kick it and go to bowl games and have their fun. Well, different college experience. I'm sure they enjoyed themselves at the same time. Uh, For me, um, I would not be happy watching other people play. So that's so like for me, the definition of playing is being in the fight on the field. Uh, I hated, you know, watching anybody do anything. So um, I would imagine our young power athlete radio follower subscribes to that idea of like, I want to be in the fight. I want to be on the field. Good. But now it's defining that is the fight on the field going to a power five and then maybe getting one or two years because you sat for one, two, three waiting for your opportunity. Or is it going to a university of Buffalo? Uh, and I I want to think of Wichita State because we just drove by it, but I don't know if they have football. But an example of a lower tier, but still Division One opportunity scholarship. You know, um, yeah, and uh, I, I mean, I, I came in and played when I was a freshman and started by the time I was a sophomore and all, you know, my junior and senior year. Uh, but there was also an interesting thing with maturity, you know, the maturation process. There was a much bigger jump between the senior year in high school and college than there was between college and the NFL. Mm-hmm. By the time I was in college or, you know, graduated college, I was 23 and you're going to play in the NFL. There's not as much difference between a 23 year old man and a 30 year old man. There is, but not nearly the difference of a 17 and 18 year, year old opposed to a 23 year old. So when I showed up as a 18 year old kid to college, I didn't even own a razor. I had never shaved. And all of a sudden I'm seeing these guys that are 23 that have like full beards and full you know chest hair. And I'm like, oh God, these are men. I'm like a little kid. So it took me two years to kind of mature in and be able to be big enough and strong enough. And, you know, whereas my roommate, dude, was shaving since he was like 15 years old and he like showed up and he was physically much more mature. So I think there's an interesting thing with like chronological age versus maturity. Um, Those kids that mature earlier tend to have a little bit more, um, 
you know, advantage early on. But if you also take a look, the majority of people that have a ton of success later on, especially as professional athletes, are usually late bloomers. Like our best example that we can present to you, Mr. J.J. Watt, who started college at Central Michigan University as a tight end. Yeah. And eventually went on to Wisconsin as a defensive end. And then did, a historic did career. he transfer into uh, Wisconsin? No, I believe he had some some school issues, so that that took him out of football. But then got what, his life turned around. And what kind of? Oh, he, he was kind of a wayward individual. Uh, I'd I'd have to look it up. I forget the the tales because the legend has grown. Oh, well, now that he's uh, in the free agent market and no longer a Houston Texan, is he really still the legend? In my eyes, John. Oh, God damn it. I'm kidding. But the that's an opportunity to understand that there is the yeah. transfer portal. If you do start yeah. somewhere, I would recommend, I mean, there. Well, I would mean, stick with the training recommendations by yeah. me, a division three so, asshole. But so here, here's the way that you're going to progress. Um, let's hope that you have, uh, you know, uh, a dad and, you know, who's six, four and a mom who's, you know, tall enough to hopefully get you there. And you're over six feet, six, two, six, three, six, four. If you're as tall as six, six, and you're going to have even better luck, uh, from there, what you're going to do is you're going to sign up for bedrock. Yes. All and right. you are going to live on bedrock until every single movement fails and you're going to have three or four resets and you're going to reset everything until Every movement fails and you feel that you cannot go on in life, at which point you're going to move to field strong. Mm -hmm. And by that time, you should be with expectation. I'd like to think squat 400 pounds, should be able to bench 300 and hopefully have a deadlift somewhere around 500 pounds. That would be in a perfect world. Now, those numbers aren't probably what you're going to hit, but you're going to have to be strong. So once you're going to get to that position, you're going to have to eat. And the problem is, is if you're going to want to play offensive line in college, it was a little different when I went to college. I showed up at 265. I was 6'4", 265. Uh, I don't think that these kids today, I mean, at least from the pictures I've seen, high school kids are all around 300 pounds. I don't think that uh, showing up at about 265, 250 is a bad idea, but you're going to be undersized and you're probably not going to see the field until you're about 285, especially if you're playing center. Um, I would say that by far the most difficult position is always going to be left tackle, but the most cerebral and the ones where I saw guys have a ton of longevity and really were smart dudes that could be a little undersized is if they're centers, because at the end of the day, the only thing you have to worry about as a center is can you hike the ball and can you get it up to the quarterback? If you can get it up and you're consistent, then you're going to have two big thug ass guards that are going to be able to carry you and help you a ton. I mean, I played with, you know, Hank Fraley who ended up becoming a hell of a player, but for those first couple of years, man, we called him the crutch because dude, he needed us on every single play. And then all of a sudden, after a couple of years, the dude was out there stoning people. I, I watched him play in Cleveland and I was like, damn, I wish this dude was the guy we had back in Philly. We probably would have been able to run inside a little bit more. Um, but here's the thing you're going to have to eat. Uh, if you've read any of the blogs and you've read any of my stuff, especially wagon wheels and pancakes, um, that was what we ate. We ate a ton of pancakes. We, uh, you know, overate on our calories, tried to put on as much weight and bang as, you know, and build as much muscle as possible. Um, I would recommend, uh, taking creatine. I think creatine is important, especially for, uh, you know, for, for this stage in life. Um, but I don't, you know, I'm not going to make supplement recommendations to a 13 year old, but I recommend all of our athletes take creatine. I don't need to get another article like I got from TC's mom <laughs> um, about raw milk, but also drinking whole milk will benefit you. So 
If you're going to eat a lot of meat, you're going to drink a lot of milk, you're going to eat a lot of calories. And at the end of the day, you're going to live on bedrock. If you want to throw in a little extra work, definitely you can throw in a little Johnny bod. But here's the deal. You're going to have to sprint, you're going to have to run, and you're going to have to get real good at uh, playing football. So, And just for reference, looking at University of Texas roster and their offensive line, we're looking at everyone's right around 300 except for one or two individuals who are around 250 as sophomore and juniors my assumption is those, those are walk-ons yeah those uh, uh, those guys we we used to call them cannon, uh, cannon fodder which means that uh we they they brought on guys that were just kind of used within drills and they were scout team guys and they could be a little off the street but you know there, there was a I, I really believe that there was a trend there a couple years ago where all these high school kids were showing up at 300 plus pounds i personally if i was coaching offensive line in college would not recruit a dude over 300 pounds well, and and the reason being is it's very rare to see a 17 or 18 year old kid who has tremendous athleticism at 300 pounds. If he did, a lot of kids are eating because they think that number somehow magically gets them to the NFL. Well, that's the old, the old ball coach in their ear, yeah, right? Right. Well, that's, that, that's a failure. And I, dude, I remember years ago I was in Philadelphia. I was actually at a clothing store and I was trying to pick up, um, I, I think I got some alterations done to, to some of my travel clothes. And a dude, there was a dad there and he asked me, he's like, oh, hey, they said you played for the Eagles. I'm like, I still play for the Eagles. He's like, oh, yeah, yeah. He's like, "Um, you don't look that big. And I was like, oh, really? Okay. He's like, how tall are you? I'm like, oh, like six, five and three quarters, six, six with shoes. He's like, oh, oh, that's not that tall. How much you weigh? I'm like, same thing. I've weighed every, every day of my career, 308 pounds. He's like, oh, that's not that big. My son's bigger than that. And so he waves over this kid who like basically like saunters over and the kid was tall. He's probably six, seven, probably 330 pounds of chewed bubble gum. And he's like, he's 17 years old. He's going to play in the NFL. And I, I looked at this kid who was literally like, he probably was rolling off of both sides of the bed. And this kid was really heavy. And I, I asked him, I was like, Oh, you play football. He's like, yeah. I'm like, how's your movement? Because at the end of the day you can be big, but if there isn't speed in there, like how fast are you? And he's like, mm-hmm. ah, not very fast. I'm like, well, if I was you, I would, tend to favor on being faster than gaining weight under this magical number. And this dad was so like, uh, kind of rude about it, but I mean, Hey, here, here's the deal where a current NFL player takes the time to talk to your son and offer him some direction. And it wasn't what the dad wanted to hear. And my comment was best of luck. I hope he gets to the NFL. I hope every dream that you have for your son happens. And, um, a lot of times too, with parents, I think, and we see this all the time with my kids in sports, there's parents that are reliving their youth or some failed thing. But I'll tell you this, uh, even I get competitive with my daughter's basketball. Like I'm still like get super excited to watch, but at the end of the day, like it's their journey. Um, but yeah, I just always remember that kid, man, he was huge. And I remember thinking like, I haven't, like there aren't that, like if you see the guys in the NFL, at least you know, these days, like they, they're all fast. They all can move. And dudes that run six flat forties don't get drafted. Oh no, no. They don't even get the opportunity to play, um, college Two two things on that. So building off the speed, that is a key portion of bedrock. Yep. And the important thing is we sprint twice a week, uh, one in a straight, straight ahead speed fashion and the other in a more of a change of direction, agility style. And with that, as you grow, and you're going to be 13 now, you're going to be a completely different human being in the next four years that you're playing high school ball. And you will grow following the Bedrock program. You're going to grow musculature. You're going to be a different person each week as you put on this, this mass. 
The sprinting is the opportunity for you to coordinate that and develop the speed, not just speed in terms of a, a stopwatch, being able to control your new found muscle mass on the program. That is the key thing with the sprint and why bedrock is so powerful and in terms of performance gains is because of the sprinting. It's not just lifting and getting stronger, using the sprint to then coordinate this newfound muscle mass and strength in a, a usable field strong manner. That's that's the beauty of the bedrock program and not just bigger, faster, slower. It's increasing your strength, your size and then sprinting. Yeah. I mean the, um, the age old dude speed kills. I mean, Uh we, we've used it for years. I mean, I, uh, you know, I get back to the age old deal, all things being equal, the fastest individual is always going to be the most successful. So I think that there's an interesting concert that where you build, uh, you know, your speed and your strength in this really interesting kind of balancing deal and, uh, strength's important, but at the end of the day, strength, and your ability to display that strength dynamically as power is what's going to allow you to play in the NFL or go to college and be an offensive lineman. Mm-hmm. Uh, big, fat, slow dudes don't get to play. They usually sit on the bench and watch the fast dudes play. So uh, put speed at the forefront. You're going to have to eat a ton. I want you to live on bedrock until everything fails and then go to field strong. And uh, also, you're 13 years old, so give yourself a chance to mature into this thing. You probably have another five years of maturity to get into this till you're 18 years old. And I remember, um, when I showed up to train with Zangus and I was probably 14 or 15. And I remember I was like, man, I need to gain weight. I need to get bigger. And he made an interesting observation. He goes, you realize that when you're probably 18 or 19, you're probably going to be 300 pounds. You're going to be six, five, six, six, like give yourself a chance to like mature into that. That's something you don't want to get into. You have to mature into that size. And, um, and I did. And it was a good thing. I didn't race to get there. And I remember when I went to college, I was like 255, 260. And then I went up to like 275, 280. And I remember being like, you know, playing at 285 and getting pushed around a little bit and then getting up in 290, 300 pounds. But I was also 20 plus years old by the time I got there. I benched, you know, squatted 600 when I was 19, you know, benched 455 when I was probably 20, benched 500 when I was 23. Um, You know, so I, I kind of went on this journey in terms of getting bigger and stronger and increasing strength. But I think you have to let things mature at the rate at which they're supposed to. My question now is if he is playing football, I assume that there is a weight training within the high school component to this. Of course. So we will be following his team's program. Plus we're asking him to hit some bedrock. What is your advice in respect to listening to two questions here for you, John? listening to your high school coach that may be teaching different things than we guide on bedrock and two hitting two programs at once. Ooh. So this is an interesting piece. Um, I, so there's two types of coaches, especially in, in high school football. There's people that realize that maybe what they're doing isn't the best and that you might have an opportunity to do something better and make you better. And then there's also small-minded people where if you're not doing what the team is doing, you're not a team player. And when I was in high school, uh, it was kind of a weird deal. I played at Palos Verdes and then they closed all three high schools and made this one monster high school called Peninsula. And I went there as a sophomore. They fired all of our coaching staff and we all of a sudden had to, we, the, the coaching staff that took over was from our rival high school. And we had done things a certain way. You know, we had obviously had our weight room. We trained with Zangus and I continued to do what had worked for me. And, um, in the off season, I joined the track team 
So I could still train with Zangus in the off season and run track. And uh, that was frowned upon. And I was looked down as a, a bad teammate and, you know, thought I was better than everybody because I wasn't doing their training program. The problem is, is that the training program was pretty archaic and not good compared to what else I was doing. So there was a lot of friction with that. And I felt that friction into the season so much so that my, my high school football senior or sorry, my head football coach was not very complimentary of me. Uh, but unfortunately or fortunately, uh, however you look at it, uh, the tapes don't lie. And people were, you know, coaches were coming and I got offered scholarships. And like in spite of those coaches, uh, maybe not singing my best praises as not being a, a good team guy because I didn't train in the offseason with them. Uh, I still got scholarships. Now, if a coach is real vindictive and in the present environment, the way things are, that coach can can really scare off a lot of good recruiters. So I think there's an interesting balancing act between making your coach happy and training with the team and being a good guy and a team player and doing a training program that allows you the best. And we've seen this for years. We've had parents reach out to us and say, Hey, we want them to do a power athlete program. Um, my advice to them is usually, Hey, if your coach is cool with it, do it. Or if you have to do it after, um, but in no time would I have you go in there and say, Hey, we don't think you know what you're doing. We're going to have him do something else no. because all that does is, uh, you know, people are small minded and they just put up their, their blinders. And next thing you know, your kid's a cancer. He's not a good teammate. And then they will basically pull the proverbial cock block and you'll be missing out on taming on, uh, on, on playing time for lesser players because of dudes trying to somehow, you know, right some wrong. So I think there's an interesting balance of being a team player, showing your coaches that you're a hard worker and also doing it. If it takes doing two workouts a day, then you're going to have to do two workouts a day. Uh huh. And with the the setup, I know I, again, making some assumptions that how we specifically ask you to set up and execute certain movements like the squat is going to be different than what you will be coached yep. within that, that weight room. My advice is to set up like the power athlete way and then listen to what your coaches have to say, but you don't necessarily have to apply it in terms of the well, setup. the interesting thing, and I, I've found this pretty universally because we've seen this at our seminars. Uh -huh. We have a very specific way we squat and we pull and we do all this stuff. But I've had people come into our seminars that are very proficient at squatting and pulling. And I don't necessarily mess with them. So, but that's also my experience of going in where if somebody knows how to move and the movement looks good, it might not be exactly what I want, but I'm not going to fuck up their movement because of some, you know, adherence and people are like, well, his toes are a little turned out. Yeah. But his squats really well, you know, his stance and they kind of get into this stuff and I'm like, you know, there's nuance, but at the end of the day, if he's executing the movement, let's let him execute the movement and then make small tweaks. So I think if you go in there and you're squatting well, toes forward and it's proficient and looks good, you can just tell the coach like, Hey, this feels pretty good. And I'm, and I'm handling some weight and it's looking good. Now, if you go in there and it looks like dog shit, <laughs> then they're going to make changes. Next thing you know, you're going to be squatting toes out and they're going to be talking about it. And, but hopefully the coach has the wherewithal to realize like, and we, you know, and, we saw this on, um, you know, especially on, on, uh, on the field there, not everybody's technique and setup and stance was the same, but as long as they were doing something that allowed them to express their ability to the best of their, uh, you know, to, to the best of their ability, right. Or express, or express their, like, so I played in a low stance. Let's give you an example. But for me, bending my knees and sinking my hips, I could lift my head, which means I could look around. A lot of other guys played real flat back with their heads down, but they didn't have the field vision I did. But uh -huh. at guard, 
uh, that was what allowed me to see what was going on around me. Uh, at tackle, I played up with my hips a little bit higher because it allowed me to get back into position a little faster on a, on a vertical set. Now, coaches are all going to kind of coach this stuff different. And when I, when I first went to the Eagles, I remember Juan Castillo was showing us film and, hey, this is how I want you to set. This is what I want you to do. And my comment to him was like, okay, you're showing me uh, Trey Thomas here and you're showing me um, Adam Zimmerman, who was, uh, you know, one of the guards for the Green Bay Packers. And I was like, I don't think he's, uh, he, you know, one, he's not like me. And two, uh, I got a different skill set than him. Like I can short, like I can short set stuff, but I'd rather set back 45 and punch the guy because I'm a big punch. That guy, that guy was more of a, a like a, a wrestler in a lot of ways. He wanted to kind of jump out and tackle everybody. So I think understanding what your strengths are, being good with your technique, take coaching and being smart enough. But the problem is at 13 years old, you probably don't know what you're doing yet. Yet. My before we get I got one more question for John, but then to give the guidance here, I want you to look for opportunities to be a leader. So even though you may be doing different techniques within the weight room, there are still plenty of opportunities for you to find your voice as a leader and athlete on the team. If it's counting push-ups, if it's uh, getting guys to hurry up back to the line during your sprint ta- training time, or if it's starting being a part of the seven on seven drills, I understand you are an offensive lineman, but if you can now be on the seven on seven as you are the designated center and you're just getting reps with your quarterback, then you're getting, you're being a part of the team. You're getting to know the skill guys very well. And you become a vocal leader within that. So one of our centers in high school, Dallas Griffin, got a scholarship at University of Texas. Yeah. Seven on seven. He was on the uh, as part of our team. Seven on seven, huge. I don't know what it is in Illinois, but Texas big. But so what? Seven on. So he was the center that snapped on seven on seven. Yeah. It, it was a, a, a just a position where you got the ball to the quarterback. It was nothing. But yeah, he was a pillar of our team community. And uh, and he got a scholarship to go to Texas. Did he ever play? Um, he was back up on the national championship team. So he was a big part of that. And you asked Donnie Mabe or anyone that was within the program. Then he was stand up human being. He won, uh, the academic award for division one football wow. player. I forget that what award is called, but as, a, as yes, yeah, classic all American. Uh huh. So he stand up human being, but he found opportunities to involve himself within the team. My, now my final question for you, John and this is something that I'm a big fan of in listening to our, our podcast we did with, with Hardwick, who was a center for the Chargers, and then going to Spitz's for our combine time where you were investing time with the, the, uh, the NFL dudes, or dudes trying out for the NFL. The nuance of offensive line, setup, punch, technique, and all that. How can you guide this 13-year-old to finding that position-specific as a 13 year old is YouTube enough nowadays or do you need an in-person one-on-one coach? Yeah. I mean, it's really, um, it's like a layering process. So, I mean, just, and I've taught this a million times, especially with young guys, um, in the NFL and people that come in, like, like what does the presentation look like? How do you run to the line? Like I, you know, if you've listened to the podcast, you talk about like from the ball, from the minute that the huddle is broken, you sprint to the line, how you set up into your stance, the finding a stance that allows you to be most comfortable for me. It allowed me to sink my hips, but I had good flexibility. A lot of guys are real tight. So what it looks like, but basically finding a stance that allows you to move and be able to pass pro and then be able to go from that and then understanding the steps and the angles and the bigger thing. And I think this really is, is hard for young offensive linemen to understand is they, it's hard to understand the scheme. 
So think about this, right? So your job is to put your body between the defender and the ball carrier, but you have to know where the ball carrier is going. Like for example, if you guys are running a dive play opposed from like an inside outside zone, right? The idea of a zone blocking is you come off and you zone and then what the running back runs and then as, as seams create, like if one guy gets caved over, now all of a sudden this guy comes back. So basically being able to run and um, understand, you know, schemes. So I think, and I know this is probably a little far reaching because you're not really in high school yet, but understanding the scheme and Hey, what do we want to do? Where, where do I need to be? And I think as you get older, especially in pass protection and run blocking, it really kind of made sense to me uh, from that deal. Like, Hey, if like, you know, we're going to do, let's say an inside zone here, there's going to be a double team at the point of attack. There's going to be a double team on the backside and we got to cut the bad guys off. So I think really understanding like the scheme and what we want to do and where we want the ball to go and then being able to put yourself in position is another issue because now I have to use technique, strength, power, speed, all the other things and then understand who I am. Am I a, am I a fast guy? Am I a big, strong guy? Like what does it look like? And then being able to understand how to get there. And um, all that stuff just comes from experience. Um, but I think the bigger issue, and this is something I didn't really put much credit in because I was never a huge football fan growing up. I didn't understand schemes until I got older. When I was in high school, I just like, who do I get? Okay, <laughs> man on. All right, I'm just going to drive this dude off the line and did not really have a ton of uh, understanding of like where the ball was going, what I needed to do, and more importantly, what the execution was. So it wasn't until I got into college and got into the NFL that I started understanding like, okay, hey, like if this is the defense, this is the coverage, this is what we're trying to accomplish. This is where I need to be to accomplish this task. And this is what this individual does. And not that you need to understand that level of nuance, but as you progress, the nuance that you need to know from like 14 years old as a freshman in high school is like this much. And then it's this much as a senior in high school. Then when you go to college, it's this much. And then all of a sudden to get to the NFL, it's this much. So where I really saw a lot of guys break, especially in college and the NFL, was people did not continue to grow their knowledge on the scheme, how we were going to run, what kind of offense we were, and what the end game of what we were trying to accomplish was. My final question here for you, scheme, where do schemes come into play? Is it Do you recommend, hey, memorize your plays now, find seniors on the team, ask them to just know the plays, or is it plays and schemes? Well, plays, I, then I, schemes. I think you got to start with uh, what's my assignment. So if we run, right, a, right, right, right. you know, uh, let, let's say I'm playing left guard and we're running, um, you know, inside zone, you know, 94, 95, which is our, you know, would be 94 would be to the right. 95 would be the left. If I'm the left guard, and we're running a 94 and I have a three technique. I know that the tackle and I are going to basically post and drive and scoop up to that linebacker because we're responsible for these two guys. So we're going to do a double team on the backside. So understanding that position and understanding, hey, here's the technique. Now, let's say there was a guy inside of me or head up on me. Then I got a zone step to put my body in the right position, but I also got to get enough forward momentum to drive them off the ball. So, I mean, it really comes down to like knowing, first of all, who do I have and what's my responsibility? Uh And then understand the technique that I have to use based on where the guy's lined up. And then from there, you can start understanding. So for me, um, I started with just knowing like, who do I get? So right. I memorize like a play. Like if it was 94, I know I got man on. Um, you know, I know if we're going to uh, run an outside zone and I'm the tackle, I know I got to reach block that, you know, five, seven or nine or whatever it is. Um, you know, and then, but I also have to understand if there's no corner down, then he's playing force. And so he's got a, he's never going to get beat to the sideline. So if I can hook him, 
then we have another issue. So, I mean, there's a whole bunch of nuance right. in this, but just starting with who do I get? Because here's the thing. I can't coach you if you don't know who to get. Right. So I'm just trying to get him to yeah. chunk this out. So just learn your place, know who to get. And then once you understand who to get and who you are responsible for, then you can kind of zoom out a little bit and be like, okay, now where do I know the ball carrier is going? Where do I know the pass is going? If, uh, if for example, we're going to ask the outside receiver to run a go route, right? Where he's running like a, you know, 15, 20 yard route. How long does it take for him to get from the line of scrimmage to his position? So if the quarterback takes a five or seven step drop, how long has he got to hold the ball to get the guy where he's going now as a tackle or a guard, I have to set in accordance with, you know, Hey, if it's a seven step drop, he's probably going to set up around 10 yards. So now I got to make sure that the pocket is long is deep. So tackles are responsible for setting the depth of the pocket. Guards are responsible for setting the width of the pocket. I did not know that. Yeah. So, so for example, if I knew we had a seven step drop, I was going to set vertical and basically get this guy to run on my outside as long as I can. If it's a three or a five, I can, I can start the fight earlier because I know the ball will be gone quicker. So being able to understand, you know, Hey, if we're going to throw the ball, is it a three or five or a seven step drop? What ball, like who's the primary receiver? And we know that if that guy's running a go route down the sideline, how long does it take him to get from point A to point B? And then knowing where, you know, like never get beat inside. I mean, there's all these little things, but understanding your technique and how to execute it. I mean, there's a lot of nuance, but all Mm -hmm. of this happens with one requirement. Do you know who to get? Like when you're running up to the line, who am I responsible for? Who's my guy? So we used to call that, we used to always joke, uh, um, and we, we've, we did this actually in the middle of games. Uh, we used to call it, um, uh, we used to call it cat, which was funny because if the defense came up in a, in a real funky front, right. That we hadn't prepared for and we didn't know who to get the center would basically call out like, Hey, that's my cat. This is your cat. And we would just basically point and be like, that's my cat. And was it actually their cat? Like, like just, or just, are you fucking with the D? No, no, it was funny. Cause, uh, we just called it a cat defense where like, it was just like a whole bunch of cats that we had to take care of. Oh, okay. and it was like hurting cats. Ah. So we're like, I got this cat, you got that cat. And we would just point them out as cats. And it was all based off of where the center made the call. So if he went back and he's like, Hey, I'm going to call this guy, the mic, that's my cat. Then all of a sudden a guard, I got the next cat and you got the next one. And it was just kind of a, a funny deal because occasionally you'd run into a team that would just randomly throw these crazy ass defenses at you. And, you know, nothing that you'd necessarily prepared for. You're not used to see a four, three, a three, four, you know, they're running this and they'll just come out in some crazy ass look like, uh, you know, when Arizona ran the flex defense where you came out and everybody was standing up, right, you, know, right, right, yeah. you know, and at that point you just have to basically on the fly and the center would basically call the cat and we'd be like, I got this cat, you got that cat. But at the end of the day, you have to know who to block. And if you can know who to block, you will be 99 times farther ahead than every other high school player who I'm pretty sure doesn't know who to get. Yeah. And don't be satisfied with that, Sean. Uh, You have a lot of material here, a lot of smart questions to then ask your coaches. And here's my advice. Favor to your coaches. Ask them intelligent questions. So they like, oh, Sean, you're switched on, dude. And then biasly, you get more opportunities. So play that bias card as much as possible. I think kids today with uh, like Madden football and especially the video games are a lot more educated than we were. So, I mean, what's pretty fascinating is with like Madden. Madden 96 on Super Nintendo didn't have uh, schemes. Dude, uh, like the Madden game now, it's pretty interesting. Like I I haven't played, but I was uh, I've seen people play. And it's pretty fascinating to see like, you know, dudes come out, they run a coverage, they know, hey, this is the offense. This is, you know, and I think it's really up to the average person's knowledge 
Now for me, I, I didn't have a ton of time to play video games. And if we did, I didn't want to play something football related, but I think <laughs> that there's some really interesting nuance in understanding football by playing some of those games. Mm, good tip. All right. Asked and answered, Sean, we'll, uh, we'll be on the lookout for your last name here. I didn't give it to our power athlete nation. I'll wait till you get that scholarship. Ooh. Yep. Send and us then a picture. we'll, uh, then we'll give you some pro- some props. Yeah, send us a pencil neck picture now. <laughs> and then in four years, we can highlight you on an athlete profile and hit it. All right. Thank you for Sean texting the hotline. Anyone out there that has a question, training related, nutrition, performance, anything in that respect, or even some life advice, because mm-hmm. Sean listens in this podcast has helped his everyday life since he was five years old. If assuming he listens since episode one. Sounds great. But if you got it, John, what's that number? Uh, if you want to reach the hotline, 929-464-464. 929-ing-ing-0 is the hotline. So if you got any questions, leave them on the hotline. We'll knock them out the park. And for the Power Athlete crew, thanks for listening. Now it's time for you to empower your performance. Head to powerathletehq.com backslash training to choose from a number of programs to meet your specific performance goals. And if you like to break a mental sweat too, visit academy.powerathletehq.com and become a real stakeholder in you or your athlete's success. Until next time, bye!